Uh, Lawrence Egering, I, it just feels like we talked recently. <laughs> I mean, feel free to jump on just to share the 150 love if you want to. Lawrence Egering, if you want to bring up your audio. I have audio, and it's you alive. Do. You do. And it's it's scary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not How sure you? you refer to me as, as Tony in these connotations. We we should probably have the informal non-Snosich-related discussion. Today it's gone really well, actually. The weather is uh, – I'm tracking the weather in the UK because I'm going to the, the UK in February. The weather here is identical to the weather in the UK currently, which indicates how bad the weather is here. Um, okay. So, yeah, we had a wonderful show recording this morning. And then I went out and run, ran a bunch of errands with my wife and then ended up back here and got a, a few things done and then got on the call uh, this evening. So, yeah, 150 has been really good for me. Um, how are things in your part of the world? Um, it's been an incredible um, – since the first, I've, it's like a mental block has been uh, removed. And I have come up with some pretty interesting Arduino-based projects and uh, – Resolve some that were driving me a little squirrely. And um, this morning, out of the middle of nowhere, I've come up with a project I'll be putting out within the next two months if everything works correctly. Uh, Arduino-based four-position signaling bidirectional that will require no computer and a minimal amount of wiring. And uh, and it will include the detectors and everything all on a single Arduino Nano. And... Uh, that's, I think that's going to be an absolute blast to get that going. And um, so to make this sort of official, I have uh, spoken to our brother um, <clears throat> Guido, and uh, we have bequeathed, bestowed, and belittled you with the official name of Tony Schnossage. And uh, I feel that it's only appropriate for the 150th show that would be the fifth anniversary of your car going through the uh, paint shop at the Schnossage plant here. So it's been an interesting day. Am I gone? No, you're alive. You're certainly functional. We can hear you here. Don't know where Tom's gone, but. <laughs> and I rehearsed that bequeathed, belittled, than the belied thing for quite some time. And it, and, <laughs> and it presented very well. The delivery was fantastic. The cadence was, was awesome. I'm, I have to, have to ask as, as someone who was not maybe across it, where did the, where did the term come from? There's obviously a backstory there. Uh, actually, the next show that comes out has pretty much the whole story on it. Um, uh, we talked la at the last show. And uh, I think it's the next one coming out. And uh, the whole story, Sarah, I would ordinarily tell you, but it's about a 15-minute ordeal. So uh, I, don't, don't worry, Larry. I, I got the, your audio recorded. So Well, that's good because we've lost Tom. He's not even on the call. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what a takeover show is all about. Throw off the host. <laughs> so the, the signaling, the Arduino signaling system, yes. I'm intrigued. Yeah, it's one of those things. Um, through Model Railroad Hobbyist, uh, Jeff Bunza had come out with a differential um, detector, which basically compares the ambient room light to another sensor. And he did it with a um, some old school hardware. Another fellow said, "I think I can do this with a P with a pick or a um, an Arduino." And he wrote some basic code that sort of worked. Uh, I went through it cleaned it up a little bit, got, he had a whole bunch of serial writes looking for values and stuff. And, and anybody who knows Arduino knows that brings him to a crawl because it's 9,600 baud. And uh, so I pulled most of that out on my initial one. 
and then I refined it and it actually with uh, finding some new sensors, I got the thing that it'll work in a, a barely lit room. And uh, so we, uh, I did that. And then further on down the road, a customer came up to me, you know, late in the year, I want to say first of December and said, I need an automation for um, some staging yards that are hidden because he'd run through some tortoises. So I said, well, I, I can do this with Arduino and, you know, we can use my sensing system. And I thought, well, it's a little cumbersome to only be able to get two sensors on a single Arduino. So I went back to the, uh, the Larry drawing board and uh, found a way to use a single ambient light sensor. And I can do up to seven uh, seven other sensors compared to that. And as long as they're in the same basic light area, um, it, it works quite well. It's uh, quite robust. So I, I had one of those epiphany nights last night where, you know, the ones where you wake up at one o'clock and you're thinking to yourself, oh, yeah, how do you get back to sleep? You know, <laughs> and I I didn't. That was an epic fail. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I started thinking about, well, I wanted to put signaling on my layout. And I've in the past used a product from um, Team Digital that that drove the um, the mastheads, et cetera. And it's quite good. But I thought, you know, why don't I come up with something using the Arduino? Because I've got the sensors. Once I write the the thing out, they, they won't change until the next sensor's covered, you know. And um, basically in my head in about an hour, had the code all written down. And uh, then my lightning quick mind even got a little quicker and said, you know, what would be even cooler is I could use this for a combination of, of uh, not only uh, three aspect signals, but I could also use um, semaphores because the Arduino will drive the servos quite well. Mm. And uh, so I called up my uh, schnausage brother, Guido, mm -hmm. and, and threw the idea at him, and he went a bit wild with it. Mm. He, uh, he just loved it. You're back with us. I am. I am. And it's going to be a very interesting and somewhat fractured recording for folks listening in. But, uh, yeah, something went terribly wrong, and then uh, something terribly went terribly right and rectified everything. So... I missed that, but it sounds like you've been having a lot of fun in the past few days. I, I, I have the audio recorded, so I'll, I can send you the audio. Um, I think I think the priority is to get it out. So, um, Lawrence, to condense what you said, what what are the highlights of the past few days for you? Uh, let's see. Just today, mm -hmm. I uh, drove to a customer's house and made sure his layout was was up and operational for his arrival tonight. He'd been out of town for a few weeks. Gosh. I was there at 7 a.m. I mm. left there at 8. I went up and worked on a moderately large uh, three-rail Lionel layout, doing a whole bunch of track soldering up until about 2 o'clock. I came home and took my wife to work, and then I went to a retirement community that has a layout, and I tore down the Christmas layout that I had set up earlier in December and put it in boxes to get ready for storage. I came home, ate some lunch at uh, 6 p.m. and collapsed. <laughs> and now I'm on the show. 
And I think Tom's gone again. <laughs> <Tom's> <laughs> I know I know Tom doesn't want to or would like would prefer not to have to edit this one, but um that's usually usually it's it's someone like myself who uh who talks about stuff and then comes to a sudden unexpected stop and there's air gap. Um <laughs> but no, it's it does it does definitely sound like it's it's covering a lot of ground. I'm glad to hear that um Dr. Jeff's uh, Arduino work was kind of a bit of a jumping off point and that people are taking it and running with it. Uh, Dr. Jeff himself has um, brought Arduino kind of bashing and coding and, and actually Arduino solution, practical Arduino solutions uh, to umpteen numbers of people. And I'm, I am forever astounded. I'm continually astounded by the kind of stuff that he brings to the party. So yeah, it's really impressive to see that it's up and running. Well, the original sensor system he did was actually using old LM school chips, believe it or not, using for a differential evaluation with that. And yeah, yeah. Uh, and another fellow wrote the uh, the um, Arduino code. And uh, okay. forgive me for I have his name commented in my in my texts, but he um it it's really the Arduino is. Um, is I think just absolutely amazing for the home hobbyist in this in this hobby. It's there's it can, because coding is can be as simple or as complex as you want it to be. You know. True, true. It's a it's a fine line to walk though. I mean, one of the fastest way to turn anyone off an Arduino is to say, and you, you know, you have to write the code. Right. Uh, the, the 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 shutters can come down. You, you actually visibly watch the eyes glaze yeah, over. Yeah, roll back in their head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So it's it's pretty spectacular. Uh, I know I did a uh, turntable controller for a, a layout that's being built out this way, and I was kit bashing some of um, Dr. Jeff's and uh, Pelsey's code from Model Railroad Hobbyist. Had the system together, everything looked fine, but the thing flatly refused to remember what the positions of the turntable was. And it turned out that it was I was bashing code and I was doing all kinds of things to try and get uh, what I thought it needed to do. It didn't help that the gear train uh, changed the variables from integers to long integers, so that kind of threw us a bit of a curveball. <laughs> okay. But then um, eventually worked out that uh, what I'd done is I'd migrated the whole thing onto a Pro Mini, an Arduino Pro Mini, mm-hmm. and the original system was designed on an Uno, and the code was running, everything was running, everything fit, but the memory handling of a Pro Mini and an Uno are different. So when I was saving the track positions for the turntable, what I didn't realize was the Pro Mini wasn't actually saving them. Mm-hmm. So take, yeah, change nothing in the code, change nothing in the circuitry, substitute an Uno in for the Pro Mini that I was hoping to use, et voila, works a treat. So yeah, there's uh there's uh gotchas there. Uh, the the coding, the Arduinos themselves. I completely agree with you. They open up a an amazing world of stuff that uh, and and solutions that, to be honest, modelers have been solving by throwing money at the problem a lot of the time, uh, significant amounts of money at the problem for you know, quite a number of years, if not decades. The power is now in the hands of the modeler to actually be able to have a go, but they've got to want to have a go. They, it's 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 a it's an equal opportunity situation here. The gear is available, but they've got to want to do it. They've got to want to put in the effort to make it happen. And, and there's plenty of guys out there that'll just write the code too. You know what I mm. mean? Uh, 
And because they get a certain amount of pleasure out of that. Now, quite yeah. honestly, I'm in this as a business, so I don't share a lot of my code. You know, Understood. Now, if it's somebody else's and I've butchered it up, obviously I share that, you know, because it was their initial idea. Yeah. But um, my stuff, I kind of draw the line and say, you know, I don't charge very much for my product. So if you but really you have want put it, your time in to make it happen. So, right fair recompense for that yeah you know there is a recompense of reward as you said and and it's it's you know the biblical statement is a workman's worthy of his hire so you know (laughs) understood yeah Ah. but it's been it's been an absolute blast um just doing this i uh i've I've done some things with um, servos lately that I, I, if you get a chance to see my Facebook page under Creaky Chair Models LLC, you'll see a video I did of an S-scale uh, water spout using a servo to rotate it between a couple different positions. And the customer absolutely loved it that I coded it. So it looks like the guy kicked it back over, you know, because <laughs> typically they pull it real slow over to the... Uh, to the um, um, tender so they don't get wet. Yep. You know what I yep. mean? And then yep. but when they, they're done, they kick it back around because they want to get moving. And I did yeah. the same with the code. Don't and, need uh, it anymore. Kick it over. Yeah, and he loved that. And and I even put a little bounce on it so it's like it went to just a little bit beyond the, the stopping point and he pulled it back, you know, and and he he, he just absolutely freaked out. And, he, and I... The crazy part about the whole thing is, like you, I had the code. I had it working on the bench. It was working flawlessly. I took it up to his to his uh, layout and put it on. And danged if the thing didn't, the servo didn't just start spinning in circles. And I, like, oh no, what the heck is this? They're only supposed to go 180 degrees anyway. You know, <laughs> this one was going 270 sometimes, 90 sometimes. And wow. it just turned out I had a bum servo. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, what? What? You mean you can't fix the real world of hardware with code? Yeah. Well, you can, but it doesn't always work that way, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, and, you no, know, there there is an old an old adage back when I was programming for a living. It says some some wonderful software is released, but ninety eight percent of it escapes. And <laughs> Yeah, yeah, escapes out of the lab and never comes home. That's right. And it's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and Microsoft has learned that lesson the hard way, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, look, many, many, uh, many uh, DCC modelers, DCC users have also learned that you can tweak BMF, you can tweak software, but if you've got a bad motor or if you've got a bum bearing or if you've got pickups which are not working properly, the real world is hardware and analog and it will stay screw your code up <laughs> every time <laughs> every time yeah i'm i'm a, also an installer so yeah I've, okay i've uh i've done i think the last count was i quit counting at over 350 decoder installs so i've, wow. I've done i've been doing them for the 12 or 13 or 15 years i don't even remember how long anymore Okay. Um, if if you don't mind my asking, uh, uh, do you focus on a particular scale, or are you just whatever I comes am, across the bench? I have currently on my list in in my shop. I have a N scale GP thirty eight. Right. I have 
four HO differing. Some are a couple atherns, a couple are atlas. Okay. And I have two ON3, uh, two, three ON3 installs that I'm doing, Overland Brass. Oh, and, nice. Uh, um, we're experimenting with the yep. high current uh, 4400 from Soundtracks on a G scale that I'm going to be undertaking here shortly. Okay. That sounds like fun. I know that there's been a few people who have uh, been talking about that, particularly looping back around to the dead rail. There's a couple of people who are doing dead rail, linking up the Iowa scale proto throttles directly to dead rail receivers and things and wanting to use that G scale in the garden. But the call, the, the sticking point in one of the conversations I was, I was across was they said, I need a five amp decoder. And mm-hmm. myself and a couple of other people, of course, immediately came back and went, well, Locksound has a four amp that they say is um, is designed for home, uh, for, for, for garden. Um, yeah, Soundtracks has the 4400 four amp. And the, uh, the, the, the OP, the, the, the person asking the question was kind of saying, yeah, but my motor blocks draw three amps and I don't feel like four amps gives me enough clear safe headroom so i really want five amps and for the want of the one amp they were discounting all of these available off the shelf ready to go high current dakota solutions <laughs> so it was it was kind of interesting trying to find a solution for the particular modelers you know conditions what they what they particularly wanted to want to do with main reason why i ask about the scale though is um as part of your decoder installs are you doing motor and lights only or are you doing sound as well i'm a soundtracks dealer so i've done probably of the number of decoders i've probably done 200 with sound i um i've been experimenting with the um the iphone speakers the new iphone 10 speaker actually has some promise to it but the okay. absolute best cell phone speaker I found thus far yep. is, an, is an HTC M7. Okay. It has an incredible amount of bass. You, it, it, it compared to any of the other iPhone speakers, it's kind of like the original little box speakers compared to a deep bass. It's it's that different. Interesting. Um, it's a little less forgiving at high volume. Right. Um, it distorts a little better, but I think that if you properly, and I've, <coughs> you know, space is always a limitation. Majority of the yep. stuff I do is HO, and okay. uh, space is a limitation. But I found that with a good um, double-sided tape that's got any kind of absorbency to it, in other words, it's got a little flexibility to it, yep. that it absorbs any of the excess vibration and just puts out a beautifully clear, flat, response it's and they're like a dollar in a quarter i think i paid for them and okay so so the buzzing the distortion that you're hearing is not inherently in the speaker reproduction it's resonant that it's uh inducing into the mechanism and the shell it's it's right. buzzing against another another right. element yeah it's it i think it's what it is is typically most people including me use super glue or some other glue to hold that that frame to the you know to the the metal chassis you know thinking that we'll get the the soundboarding effect in this case i think the soundboarding effect is actually hurting it Um, well yes exactly you're getting soundboarding or you know a sympathetic resonance you are you are getting resonant behavior 
uh, right. through the shell. You know, you, you're inducing a vibration into another element. Absolutely. Right. The problem is that the thing that you're inducing into not consciously by you or even by the, 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 the company that made the model, it is tuned to a given frequency and it's right. virtually guaranteed the frequency that it's going to naturally resonate at that it's going to, it's tuned to is not the frequencies you want to hear. <laughs> yeah, it's typically in that 120 hertz range, which is just painful, you know. <laughs> but, but you look at 100 hertz, you know, 100, 120 hertz, that's that's actually amusing because it's down 100 and below is kind of where a lot of people are asking for bass and then tending to not get it. I, I have to ask two questions. Uh, being a soundtrack spot, do you play with the onboard EQ at all to tune for the speakers? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, cool. I use... I, I uh, have some kind of default settings for the various speakers uh, based on uh, on certain installs and things like that I've done. Nice. You know, yep. it, it saves me time because with JMRI, I can just write all the sheets and, and it sets the volume levels and does everything for me all in one fell swoop. And I'm not having to reinvent the wheel. Plug uh, your presets in. Yep. Yeah. Plug them in. Once, you've, once you've built is, them, you've got them. That EQ is the, the difference between ESU and Loke Sound. I, I won't even get into the, oh, my gosh, you know, you've got a, ba a bearing knock on an ESU. Guess what? If you cannot adjust that sound level and make it, you know, bring out the frequencies you want, you're never going to hear the bearing knock. You know, and there I'm, you know, I and it's not because I'm a soundtracks dealer because I was this way before I was a soundtracks dealer. Uh, they're different decoders. Some people get a certain amount of joy out of them. I don't. So <laughs> I, I've, I've got the uh, soundtracks decoders down to pretty much a science. And let me put it to you this way. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. Right. And uh, I my customer one of my customers, I've done probably 20 in a Tsunami 2 installs for him. Yep, yep. And he said there was a particular Atlas locomotive he wanted, and it had an ESU in it. So he bought it, and he got a really good deal on it, too. I mean, I think he paid 135 bucks new. And uh, I told him, I said, well, quite simply, you know, you can't buy the locomotive and have me put a decoder in it for that hardly, you know. And... Uh, and I'm cheaper than most. And he, so he bought it, and I said, you know, it, we'll see what it sounds like. And uh, okay. he ran it around for a little while, and he looked at me, and he said, all right, take it home and make this sound like the other ones. And if it involves replacing the decoder, so be it. Okay. okay. <laughs> so the one thing that I will say about this, uh, typically the ESU installs that are coming from the OEMs, uh, or using a very inexpensive garbage speaker that I threw out years ago, refused to use anymore. Um, I pulled the speaker out of one of them. Much better. So there is value in those little speakers. So now there'll be a, I better go order some on eBay because now everybody, when they hear this, is going to order M7 speakers and I won't be able to find them anymore. You know. Well, there's, I think, I think you've probably got some up your sleeve in the sense that I know that when the iPhone speakers were getting a lot of traction, there were, there were quite a number of uh, people who were going, yep, I've ordered the iPhone speakers and they don't sound good and it's all, it's all, you know, what are these people talking about? And it turns out that when people amassed on eBay, 
what they were doing is they were just grabbing anything that said iPhone, and what they were ending up buying was the earpiece speaker, right. not the speakerphone speaker. And because they were grabbing the wrong thing, they weren't getting the appropriate thing. So if you happen to know the right M7 model that you're looking for, then uh, yeah, I think you've probably got a little bit of buffer there to play with. I know it won't be as cheap as those M7s, or sorry, as cost-effective to source, but have you had any experience with the uh, scale uh, scale sound systems speakers? Scale sound systems, I cannot honestly, I probably have, but I'm drawing an absolute blank right now. Okay, uh, when if if and when you get a chance, www.scalesoundsystems.com. Uh, the uh, not a not a promotion for them. I'm not connected with them. I'm not. Uh, I'm a. I must admit, I'm a voted with my own personal wallet user. Uh, but the thing that impresses me about them, and as uh, uh, you may or may not be aware, my background, my pro, my pro life uh, is as a pro audio guy. Um, the guy who runs Scale Sound Systems uh, is a studio engineer, and he's put mm-hmm. in a lot of time to do proper audio analysis of various speakers that fit in HO and N-type locos, and has then also done appropriate acoustic analysis on things like speaker enclosures. The result is that he's got a line of uh, speakers plus enclosures as a one-piece ready-to-go thing, which is a plug-and-play into quite a number of uh, common models and he has the spectral graphs that proves that they can get down below 100 hertz cleanly and smoothly so yeah, it's all about the enclosure and everybody calls these speakers they're really not speakers they're transducers and um yeah i also was a pro audio guy so okay so we're speaking the same language <laughs> yeah yeah and i just try not to you know, again, you can get to the point where the eyes roll back in people's heads and you lose them completely. So I try not to do that. But yeah, I just went to his Facebook page and um, yeah, yeah, another fellow who's doing a lot of good things with this is um, Streamline Backshop. Have you yes, seen yes, this yep, stuff? Yep. Uh, I have, I have, and I've got one or two of his things here. But in in putting the two of them side by side, as I'm wont to do. Uh, Isotope RX was telling the story and scale sound systems is where I'm going to tend to be, uh, heading. Okay. <laughs> and, and, um, the one thing that I've used with the, uh, streamline back shop at Brian stuff is, um, the counterfacing ones in O scale where you have a little bit larger echo chamber, if you will. Yep. Yep. yep, yep. Are dramatic. That I okay. I haven't found anything that's even close, and uh, I especially when you start tuning the EQ and maybe even adding a little reverb in, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep, but yep. I'm I'm going to give these a look. Where is he located? Is he in the U.S. of Ohio? He by is. the looks of it, right? Yep, yep. Uh, uh, certainly, it's uh, it is the U.S. To be honest, I can't recall where. It's in Marion, Ohio. I just found it. So, there you yeah. go. Yeah, but, um, have to visit if, him. Yeah, if you are uh, if you if you're looking for for some alternatives, if you're looking for some additional research, then um yeah, it might be worth a look. But anyway, such is the way. I think we've I think we've well covered sound, and I, I take your point. Uh, yeah, so I'm not sure not sure how many uh <laughs> not sure how many people we've still got with us, or whether we're done. I I'm not even looking at the call honestly. <laughs> uh, let's see, we have uh, John Clyder and you and I. That's it. Oh, 
Oh, okay. And uh, Mike. Mr. Mike's on, I think. Yeah. Mr. James Rent is trying to call in to say a little bit. And uh, um, I was trying to believe that's Mr. Garrity in it. If, if you wanted to say a bit for show 50, I'm recording the audio because Tom dropped off about uh, probably about 20 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, and he said he couldn't get back on. So so if that tells you how, how well show 150 is gone. <laughs> oh dear do, do i do i want to do i want to uh you know possibly take things overly personal and go see i arrived and then we started talking sound and then the whole thing went to hell yeah or you could blame me oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear, dear okay so mike uh, i look I, I know tom didn't really want to edit but it's i suspect that he's definitely going to end up having to um was there anything that we officially like was there anything that we we've missed that we need to wrap up or is there anything we needed to cover or is that it um i think between uh you and uh larry and that i think you've kind of covered the the topic um uh, uh pretty well uh <laughs> Mr. i know mr uh, rent was trying to get in this evening to uh say a bit but um if um as soon as he gets his internet back up and going which he said he should have it up and running by now uh, i can record his audio as a separate file and send that to tom to to add into the show and i think basically all tom will basically do with my audio because uh, it's been going for about two hours and 45 minutes is he'll probably have to uh just take the last well, as soon as larry came on uh uh just take that audio and and cut it out and save it to tack onto the end of his yeah, it's just say Larry ruined it for everybody. Yeah, just oh, come out say it. No, no, I think I think the prof did it. Here, there, or else it uh, because we had some long time time callers that haven't called in since show one hundred. They may have did it too. <laughs> no, no. See what what happened was is it was it was chugging along fairly fairly smoothly and it was it was moving smoothly and quickly between users, much like a Facebook chat. Then prof came in and tried to turn it into a forum and it all fell apart. <laughs> there you go. Hey, All right. Well, Larry. Hey, thanks. Prof. Hello, John. How are you? Pretty good. Have you let out what you're doing modelling-wise yet or not? No. Okay. I told Tom that you were working on something top secret. That was yeah, last we, year. Yeah, we uh, we had a bit of a talk about that a little earlier on and just trying to get it done uh, amongst, it, amongst everything else, as you're aware um but yeah just getting through it no it's all it's all good for the moment there's there's yeah no 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 leaks no miscommunications it's all good okay i wasn't too sure whether i could let it out or not i'll let you let it out when you're ready if if and when oh look <laughs> if i if i uh if i really pulled my finger out and i didn't have a you know a few other things going on i would seriously consider uh trying to get it done for um and you'll know what this means for uh uh queen's birthday long weekend uh-huh. uh but uh, the reality is the reality is i i just i don't think i'm going to be able to get it where it needs to be for that time i'd love to i'd want to but not so much hey there's always october uh true but if i was going to if i was going to debut anywhere queen's birthday feels like a for some reason that just feels like a better place to debut you're right not quite, yeah, not quite sure why it just yeah anecdotally kind of uh, comfort level yeah that kind of stuff. And the new venue is an awful lot better than the old one. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a that's a separate conversation. But yes, yes, um, 
so yeah, we'll see. We'll see what goes on. Okay. Again, right. once I get once I get clear of what I'm doing, if you need anything, give me a shout. Will do. Will do. All right, uh, Mike. Uh, I think probably between us and you, and I think if we got, have we still got Larry, or is Larry gone as well? No, I'm here. La- Okay. Um. Uh. So, Mike, are we? Uh, uh. Is there any possibility of other people coming on that we needed, or is that that's it? I. I, I think. Uh, like I said, if uh, if uh, Mr. Rent uh, uh, finally gets his internet up, inter- internet up, I can uh, do a quick little recording with him and send that to time as a separate soundbite. Yeah. I think. Uh, uh, otherwise, I think we pretty much, uh, I think, beat this horse uh, <laughs> and uh, I think it's a wrap. And I know Tom said he was going to record an outro. So, yeah. Uh, um, so I guess we could probably all just say uh, uh, our goodbyes to Tom. And <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you, Tom, for everything that is Model Rail Radio. It's been a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing. Uh, show 100 was a was a blowout. Show 150 was even better. Uh, here's to show 200 where, where if, uh, yeah, when we get there, I'm sure that's going to be amazing. And, um, in the meantime, modelers everywhere. If you're hearing this, uh, fantastic that you're listening. If you aren't hearing this and someone tells you about it, please get involved. It is a wonderful place to catch up with a lot of wonderful modelers, lots to learn, lots to discuss, and really it's all about your individual modeling life, your individual modeling journey, what you're into. Where do you want to go? What do you want to learn? What do you want to discuss? It's up for grabs. It's all open. Tom is more than happy to talk to whoever wants to call in. So you're more than welcome. Please keep an eye on www.modelrailradio. That will give you the show times, the call-in times, and will also give you a bit of a heads up to anything special that's happening, like the current uh, track planning and layout planning contest that's happening. But look, it's it's a podcast, it's a call-in radio show that's all about the hobby of model railroading, and the hobby of model railroading is all about the people that are in it. So by all means, more than happy to have you on board. Feel free to call in whenever you're available. And Tom, thank you for making this thing that is Model Rail Radio. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. And um, Tony? Happy to have you on board. Okay. Uh, Ron, did you want to say anything here? Uh, Tom lost his uh, audio, uh, or I shouldn't say his audio, but his uh, joining Skype. So if you wanted to add anything to show 150, speak up before ever hold your peace. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, that's pretty surprising. Um, well, I... I had a, a quick run around with the dinner, you know, dinner date with my wife, and I was sitting there going, "Oh my God, we're driving back from the restaurant." I'm like, totally forgot about show 150. So I, we raced home, and uh, here I am. Um, I think it's fantastic. I mean, without model rail radio, um, the the real the the world of model railroading has really opened up to me. Um, I'm not sure about how how you guys feel about it, but it, once I discovered podcasting, and then of course you you start searching for model railroading what can come up and i said model rail radio i'm like what the heck's that so i start playing it and i've been hooked ever since it's been uh over five years probably six years almost now and uh it, it fantastic addition to the hobby oh most definitely it is i mean it really it's it's it gave me the opportunity to meet so many people you know all over the place it, through 
through Skype and also in person. Yeah, that was one of the comments that I made when I, I called in towards the tail end of uh, the first part of recording of 150 and uh, basically said the same thing to, to Tom and uh, uh, praised him for the community that he has given us, the ability to meet up with somebody that you've only talked to them on Skype face-to-face and you, like you've known them for uh, a long-term, long-term friend and people just kind of give you that look of, how long have you known each other? How long? How long? Yeah, exactly. Yep. You just walk up to the person. You kind of know their face a little bit, maybe through Facebook or just, you know, some other form that you might have seen their work and stuff. And it's like, you know, hey, where, where are we going to go for a meal and a, and a beer or something like that? And let's talk about model everything. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Anybody else exciting on the on the call here? Wants to join in? Uh, we had Mr. Uh, Chris Abbott uh, called in. Holy moly. Yeah. Uh, Excellent. And uh, then there were a few other gentlemen that haven't called since before show show 100. So it uh, brought out some uh, good conversations out of the woodworks. Very cool. Excellent. Did you hear any word on how the first show went? Um, Like I said, I probably called in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes of the recording. And it seemed like they had a a few uh, very good uh, callers from... uh, in England, so I'll have to for surely listen to the first uh, part when it's released. I know Tom will be releasing it uh, semi-unedited. <laughs> of course, uh, my recording, he'll have to chop off what he's got copy of the audio of and then use this last uh, uh, bit here. Cool. Um, well, one thing I want to bring up is uh, the layout design contest that Tom's been um, pushing for the past month, I guess. Uh, since I'm, I'm part of this, I, I guess I should be mentioning the uh, layout design contest. I think it's uh, HO scale. It could be HON3, HO, you know, two foot or whatever kind of HO scale because it's based off of structures for my uh, my uh, structure company, my mount models. Um, and the structures are small. Uh, I do have more coming out in the work soon. I'm working on the directions as we speak. And um, they take a small footprint, but the the full size of the layout, from my understanding, it's going to be, originally it was a two foot by five foot, or it's a 1,440 square inches, however you want to configure that. It could be an oval, it could be a L-shaped. I mean, most likely a shelf layout type of version would work out. It could be a foot wide by 10 foot long, or however that works out. Um, I think you got to put your uh, entries PDF file or scribble on the back of a, a napkin or somehow get it to Tom at monorailradio.com. Um, that's how you're going to submit that. And at the end of January, when I think it's going to be the next recording probably, um, maybe in mid-February. Uh, actually, no, I think it's due the end of January. Yeah, it's due the end of January. Um was it Pacific uh, Standard or whatever <laughs> that Tom's in? And the two building kits of yours that have to be added into the plan are is a skips bait tackle. Yep, and then it's the, the Chesapeake and Ohio motor car shed. They both, they both can be found uh, at mymountmodels.com. Yep, and, and if you click, click on the, the link for each of the kits, they'll give you a, a rough footprint of, of the structures so you know how to place it into your your model or your layout design and it doesn't have to be limited to just those kits obviously i mean you could have other industries you could have it uh, a mining camp or you can have it a, a 
seaside village or it can be, you know, a, a city scene or something. But the, the kits have to be included somewhere in that. And they're pretty, pretty generic, uh, universal type kits, but you can, you know, think you can make them into anything, really. Yeah. And Tom also mentioned that even if you wanted to add on to the structures or kit bash them into something else in your your design, uh, you're more than welcome to do that. Uh, uh, nothing uh, bad with adding a little spin to something or combining it with uh, another uh, structure kit to make something a little bit different in the design. Yep. I think it's pretty interesting. I'm excited to see some of the uh, the entries. Tom said he's already gotten a few of them. I remember when uh, the last time we had the the layout design contest was, um, I think it was in 2016 or something like that. I put an entry in, and that was really fun, right? And I wrote a whole article on it and everything. Um, I had a lot of fun. I don't think I'm qualified for this one. I'm not allowed to win my own kit. So from my understanding, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I know, and you can submit those entries at tom at modelrailradio.com again. Yep. So get it, get them in. And uh, Tom and I are, are going to be the the two uh, judges on the on the layout, and you can win the, the prize would be the two kits. And if there are two winners, if Tom decides he likes one, one design and I like another design, then those two uh, winners will be, they'll both get each kit. Yes. Yep. And I think Tom even mentioned something else that he was going to add another award uh, for the person that submitted an entry from the furthest away from his home location of California from another country. Oh, wow. Very cool. Uh, Ron? Yes, sir. Uh, just having a quick punch around the site while we're talking, uh, the only place I could find the motor car structure was by going into shop i was looking through the gallery i was looking through the other links couldn't find it the only place i could see one photo of it was through the shop link that's so yeah there, there seems to be to, to say that yep the stuff's just available uh maybe not as easy to find as it could be uh i'd also ask can we qualify can we clarify what the uh footprints of the two structures are yep let me get the exact measurements hold on cheers uh, how do you spell mind mount models again? <laughs> dot com. Let's type is that it, in and see what we got here. Is it is it sad the way that everyone was saying it on the show? I kept thinking it was M Y mount oh. models, <laughs> not M I N E mount models. Nope. Uh, could be the rolling of the tongue. Could be the uh, the fact that I'm upside down down at this end of the planet. But yeah, the the pronunciation <laughs> was a little bit of a problem. It's a, I guess it's a tongue twister. I like it. It's the, it's the road that I live on. That's where I got the name Mind Mount from. And uh, it's interesting because if you go, if you're on Mind Mount Models, the, the first page that comes up, you see featured products. You just scroll down, you see skips, and you see some textures that I have out there. And the next one down is is the motor car shit. I'm not sure if anybody okay, else is. Okay, well, hold on. Let's let's yeah, try I, to follow that. that. That's how it came up on mine was the... Uh, the bait and tackle was the first one, then there was a couple of uh, uh, brick sheets, and then there was the CNO. So it probably is in the, the process of on how you released your product line, is how it. Uh, yeah, the, the yeah. featured ones on the front page, um, it was how I put them in onto the website. Okay, the uh, what I'm seeing here now, admittedly, I've got uh, Skype half, half screened on the right, I've got the uh, Google Chrome half screened on the left. And if I Google search for mind mount models, the page that it immediately takes me to is not the front page. So that's problem number one. 
if I force it to go to https colon slash slash mindmountmodels.com, uh, because I'm half screened, the way that the website code is set up, it thinks it's on a mobile phone uh-huh. and it tries to start adapting itself for the narrower and taller screen size. <laughs> so as as a result, literally all I've got is the 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 Mountain Peaks graphic, the Shop Now button, the Featured Products button. If I attempt to scroll down, I get uh, the picture of skips and that's it. I can't scroll any further down. And if I hit the menu bar, the three bars menu at the uh, top left, I get home shop about and customer build gallery. So I don't know if it's the coding thinks it's on a mobile phone and thus is trying to half reconstitute itself as if it's, you know, going to be seen on a mobile sure, device. Exactly. And more vertical but, instead of horizontal screen. Yep. But the result of that is that trying to find the pictures becomes very difficult, particularly if I can't scroll any further south than the first picture of Skip's bait and tackle. I, I think and, you're just going to have to minimize Skype down to the bottom and have my make you what you can do. You can make my website your screensaver. How's that? There we go. <laughs> that way I get all the photos. Uh, you know, any moment I ever would care to yeah, want them. Exactly. You know, forget about having your your cats as your background, or you know your girlfriend, or whoever. Just just have my website up there. I think that would work great. Uh, Tell all your hold friends. On. Too. Sorry. <laughs> what, what you mean? You mean on my desktop I can't have UPY uh, 1033 SW 1500 NCAB switcher anymore. I've got to have mind mount models. I, hey, why not? Okay. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, did we get the dimensions of those footprints? All right. Let me click on it here. I'm too busy clicking on this thing, seeing if it's uh, working properly. So you're just okay. So skips bait and tackle is two and a half by two and three quarter inches, and the CNO motor car shed is five and a half by three and a half inches. Okay. Cool. They're all basically single story buildings. Okay. And uh, smaller structures. They were they were the first couple that I put out. Uh, like I've mentioned in the past, they were like my test bed, making making it so that I could learn the systems and how how uh, my CAD AutoCAD program would talk to the laser program, and then the laser program talking to laser cutter, and you know just seeing how everything interacts with everybody. And oh, uh, and I wanted it simple. I didn't want to sit there and design a gigantic structure and then try and have it <laughs> communicate, and then all of a sudden it's saying nope. Sorry, not going to talk to that guy over there. And then the lasers yep. uh, blasting holes through my walls and everything. <laughs> and, uh, no, but everything's working smoothly. Everything's going fine. Kits yeah, are flying out the door. And uh, I'm sitting down in between everything else and, and designing more structures. I'm excited. I had a similar experience trying to learn AutoCAD Fusion for 3D printing, 3D designing and printing. Um, you can either start with a tutorial that gives you something that has no relationship to anything you actually want to do, or you can madly throw yourself in the deep end on something that's so complex you should never have taken it on as a first project anyway. Uh, thankfully, I somehow managed to, to stick, the, stick the landing in the middle and ended up drawing uh, the steel support for the CNO water tank at Cass, West Virginia. Oh, nice. And um, and that came out okay. That that didn't go too badly, but it was a learning experience. And I did uh, pit it head to head against scratch building it out of styrene. I said, right, I'm going to put the same amount of time into learning fusion as I do building it physically in front of me, and see which one wins. And at about the 10 hour mark, 
the physical building seemed to have it winning. I had a couple of frames in front of me. It was something tangible. It was there. But then at the 10-hour mark, something clicked about the way that Fusion worked, and it started making sense on screen. Yeah, it's amazing when that starts happening. Oh, it's scary when that starts happening, but the <laughs> results are fantastic. The, yep. um, the the motor car house is that a is that specific to Hinton or is that a, a like a, a, a generic? A seat? But like, That's is, it, what, is it, it was... one of their standard designs? Is it like you know motor car design number one or? Yeah, I'm not sure if they had they had similar ones throughout their yards. Um, right. This one is exactly drawn and designed uh, from the building in Hinton. It's not Hinton. Um, okay. I found blueprints and I I could draw those you know get the dimensions off those blueprints and I put them in the AutoCAD so this one's definitely built, designed off of uh, the Hinton yard right and um, I I'm sure the the ones are similar some yards might have had two doors some might have had one door you know but uh, you know from my understanding this is this is exactly the way Hinton was okay cool um, the the main reason why I ask is because yeah I'm I'm finding with a lot of stuff. Uh, obviously there were individual tweaks for individual locations, but particularly for larger railroads and the CNO certainly was one of them. They had uh, standard draw engineering drawings and designs. You know, there was water tank version, uh, you know, design one, design two, design three. Sure. There were depot designs one, two, and three. And so you can kind of, uh, for example, I imagine there will be some people who will look at this and go, ah, oh, I'm not modeling Hinton. That's not for me. But if it's if it's either adaptable to one of the standard designs or you know is is near enough as it is, then it takes the modeler to just go, hold on, my particular location needs a type one car shed. That's a type one car shed. Fine, I can adapt it. The fact that it says Hinton on the box does not mean you can't use it anywhere else. No, no, it's just it's like I said, it's based off the one. Um, in Hinton, uh, yeah. I've already had people from, you know, that model Lehigh Valley, they've purchased it. Guys that also just buy it, bought it as a generic building. And it's just we'll a good it maintenance of way type of, of building that will work on pretty much any yard, really. Nice. Yeah, I'm glad a, to hear that, actually. Um, I'm yep. really, really pleased to hear that that's the case. Um, yeah, it, it sometimes... Look, it, it shouldn't matter at all, but it sometimes kind of makes me feel a little bit sad when I see a, a fantastic kit or a fantastic source of something, but because it's called a certain thing, then masses of modelers who could get benefit of it just kind of immediately dismiss it as, oh, but that's not my prototype location, so I can't use that at all. It's like, well, if you can't use it at all, then there's a distinct lack of imagination going on. Oh, exactly, and I know that's uh, the same thing uh... – uh, Mr. Rent had with a few of his structure kits that he released. Uh, several of them, even though it was a North Shore uh, waiting shelter, uh, and everybody would think, "Oh, that's North Shore. I can't use it for my my city bus shelter type uh, scene." Uh, you, sometimes you just have to think outside of the box and look at a different structure. And can I use it for its purpose, or can I modify it for something else? You know, don't don't think that uh, just because the way the manufacturer advertises something, that's the way it has to be done. I know that little bait uh, shop um, that I'll be ordering one of those kits and it'll actually be just used as a small little house on my uh, traction layout that I'm restoring. Yeah, it's okay. like similar to a little cape house. Yep. Cool. Don't don't 
don't just just because it says bait and tackle doesn't mean it it has to be a bait and tackle you know it can be a small little restaurant a small little house if you go if you at my website and the customer photo gallery where they yep. I, I have people like encourage, encourage them to send pictures in of their finished structures um dave Cruiswick sent some pictures uh he designed it it's a, he made it into a bakery and he called it mrs Kleiss's pies <laughs> i'm not sure if my wife's a great pie cook but you know I'm, i think it's and he did a neat little uh rendition of it mm, yeah. yeah looks good <laughs> but i mean you can, it really is it's generic enough that it'll work pretty much for any little structure and you could add it on and get bashed into something big too it could be like a front office of a big warehouse building or something yeah yeah an industrial something or other yep cool looks good Okay, so 140 inch square, or square inches, sorry, um, 2.5 by 2 and 3 quarter, 5.5 by 3.5, <laughs> HO scale, any gauge, go get them. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. I'm excited to see. Like I said, I'm glad it surprised me when Tom brought it up. I was glad to hear that um, he was having another design contest. And then he's like, you know, uh, just a few weeks beforehand, him and I were driving around Jersey. And uh, I don't know. I guess I made some kind of impression on him. <laughs> Maybe like a boot to the side of the head or something. I'm not sure, but that's, welcome to Jersey. Um, <laughs> but uh, when he said, "Oh, you know, it's kind of based on my mount model kits and stuff," I was like, I was thrown back. I was really, you know, honored. I thought that was fantastic, and I'm excited to to see the entries in it. Cool. Looking forward yep. to it. I'm not sure if you talked, uh, Prof, but what kind of stuff do you have going on? Do you have any new uh, little micro layouts going on? Um, I'm in the build of something at the moment. Uh, it's a bit bigger than a micro, um, but I've also in the last in the last year I've changed jobs twice. I've just got clear of about four months in my current job, and we are taking on uh, a fairly significant broadcast project here in Australia that is just. A monster. It's it's massive. It pulls together a number of free-to-air TV channels. It's a lot of gear. It's a lot of stuff. And being free-to-air TV, it's a uh, it's much like an exhibition layout, actually. First time, every time, all the time. No retakes, no redos, no stuff-ups. So as a result, uh, yeah, it's it's eating up a lot of a lot of time and a lot of headspace to try and get together. The result, unfortunately, is that um, I'm not sure exactly how frequently the uh, the holes in the ice are to come up for air, but I'm going to be looking for each and every one of them that I can find. Um, the, the current project is pushing my personal boundaries in a in a number of different directions, a couple of my, my usual ways of doing things. Um I am looking at trying to get a solution for the control system that's, uh, one, I'm trying to do it with DCC, uh, two, I'm having to use decoders that I'm not a particular fan of, they're not my first or even second preference, but it's a decoder that I've got to use to try and get the the behaviour that I need uh, under show conditions. Um, I'm doing some 3D drawing and 3D printing for it, uh, there's been some uh laser cut kit work involved i'm going to be doing some scenery types that i haven't done before which is always good if you can if you get comfy yeah if you get comfy doing a certain kind of scenery you know 
go and do something that's based in a different part of the country. Go and build a different kind of scenery. Yep. So, uh, so that's going to be interesting. And uh, it also it depicts some interesting interchange operations between uh, a decently trafficked branch line uh, of a of a quote unquote real railroad and uh, an industry. And there's interplay between the two sets of trains. Uh, the industry has to physically cross the branch in order from one side of the branch to the other in order to like sideways, not linearly. It's got to literally get from the east side of the branch to the west side of the branch to achieve its goal each each day, each run. So from a thematic point of view, the themes of it, the what it shows hopefully is going to be interesting to a general public crowd. But from an operational point of view, it becomes more challenging to manage. Uh, on my exhibition layouts, I have a, a roster of um, a, a roster of operators that I trust with with my layouts and things, and that they're keen to come and do shows and this kind of thing. And there's a bit of a bit of a team of modelers who are regular semi regular exhibition operators, but universally, uh, when I've asked them, you know, how much effort are you willing to take on in order to operate a layout at a show? The answer almost always is, uh, yeah, we'll turn it on and we'll let it run. But if it involves manual switching, then that will only occur when you are physically at the layout. If it's any more complex than that, we're talking to the crowd, we're interacting with the kids, we, you know, we're making sure the train stays on the track. We're not actively switching you know, or, or actively handling animations, this kind of thing. So uh, that kind of puts me in a place where if I want to have a largely animated layout or if I want to have a layout which works uh, with a fair amount of different train movements that aren't easily controlled under the pressure of an exhibition environment, then I've got to really work to make the control system simple and bulletproof. And that's that's really posing some big challenges. That's that's really try, trying to get it to look from someone who just stands up the layout and looks at it and sees the interplay and sees the, the train movements and the various other movements that are happening. And it thematically makes sense. But, you know, in the background, just like in theatre, there's, you know, offstage and backstage, there's all kinds of shenanigans going on in order to make the bit that the viewers are uh, focusing on on stage look seamless and and such like oh, yeah. um you gotta have that yeah. controlled chaos yeah that's well <laughs> interestingly <laughs> in in terms of an exhibition what we're trying to do is we're trying to avoid chaos is the uh is the key um uh particularly the the big issues at the moment is that track height for exhibition work is about it's a shade over four foot off the off the ground and if i've got a train staged simplest way to think about it i have multiple trains on staging and each one of them gets their chance to run or shuttle across the scene and then go back to where it came from and then wait its next turn however if a train that's sitting on dead end staging gets power applied to it doesn't know which way to go and backs itself straight off the edge of the layout four feet to the floor um, particularly in this particular layout's case when we're talking potentially brass locos and various other uh, expensive things, uh, that's not good. That's not what you'd call fail-safe. And, you know, it's also the kind of thing where the paranoia of that not working right 
is the same kind of paranoia that will stop operators who are very keen and willing to help you operate a layout over the course of a two or three day show. But it's that kind of paranoia that will make them say, right, if you walk away from the layout, we'll just have one train running and it'll stay running and that's it. And, you know, we're not touching it. We're not doing anything else with it. And we'll just focus on making sure that stays on the track and interacting with the crowd. Yep. Um, one thing I was, you're talking about how it's a, a branch line and it interplays yep. with an industry. So yep. the industry itself, that's that's the key feature of the of the layout and the branch line is is what um shuttles back and forth between the two sides of the staging is that how it's working no not in this instance okay it's like the the branch line just kind of like a uh antagonist kind of and it gets in the way of the industry trying to work or something (laughs) uh kind of i mean it's 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 much more prototypical than that in terms okay. of its theme. It is actually trying to model a very specific location and a very specific operation. It's not a whimsical, I'm playing with an industry and, oh, damn, the branch line's gotten in my way again. It's not <laughs> that kind of story. Um, but it's a story that here in Australia, we don't have things like uh, interchange between railroad companies as a general rule, the kind of handoff cars between railroads. That's not all that common here in Australia. Um, so it's something that the Australian audiences, the idea of, uh, uh, I mean, the visual scene is it's the branch main line and a passing track in this location that are going through the scene end to end, almost gun barrel straight. And the branch line trains, whether it's the branch line passenger train or whether it's one of the locals running up and down the branch, um, they'll make their appearance, they'll stop in front of the depot there, and then they, you know, off they shoot. There is a animated or semi-animated uh, train order signal going in there, pair of servos, uh, a double semaphore signal, you know, there's going to be some animation, there's going to be some signal operation there that hopefully gets some people's attention. But, you know, the, the branch line train's doing its thing. Then the industry train comes down from the branch, from, from up the hill, comes down to the junction, down to the interchange. Uh, on the prototype, there was uh, some degree of communication between the, the industry and the, the branch line depot kind of operators. Uh, then the industry train has to pull onto, uh, off its industry track on the east side, pull onto the main in front of the depot, shove back through a crossover across the, uh, the passing uh, track, and then keep pushing off the west side of the, the the branch line into the other half of its industry. And these there there is video of these operations. There's uh, there's documentation of these operations. In fact, as I speak, sitting to my left, about a foot away, is a small pile of reference material on that particular branch. Uh, so from an exhibition point of view, there's the, the appearance of the industry trains, uh, coming down from the hill. There's the, uh, shuttling of the industry trains between the depot and the West side industry. Then there's the, the branch trains, the passing parade of branch trains shuttling clean across the, across the, the, the scene, uh, left to right. So, I mean, each train gets its shot. There's only effectively one or maybe two simultaneous train movements at any given moment. But the idea that one has to uh, get across the other 
is is a key element that in both the prototype and that I can't recall ever having been modelled on the exhibition scene here. So you know, it's worth having a shot. That's cool. You're talking about doing the uh, the 3D printing. Do you have a machine yourself now? Have you gotten a, a 3D printer? Um, I I do not, but I'm in the I'm I'm in the position where there is a, uh, a close modeling friend of mine who uh, his particular take on the hobby. He's not an operator. He's not uh, uh, an exhibitor. What he likes to do is he likes to take a model that someone said they wanted that is not available. And down here in Australia, there's a lot of prototypes for which models are not available. <laughs> um, so what he will do is he will spend the time and effort to develop what amounts to a kit for a, a material. I'll, I'll call it a materialless kit in the sense that he'll work out what wheels you need, what mechanism you need, what cab and boiler and tender and frame or you know whatever it is if he can kit bash it off an existing model from somewhere he'll work out how to do that if he can't he'll work out you know where do you go to get water cut uh uh frame members for the for the loco where do you get the appropriate motor and gearbox combination he does all this work he develops up and builds up a prototype to about 90% complete. There's a, a number of his models that I'm aware of that are together but have never been painted. And once he gets to this 90% mark, he kind of says, all right, I've proven that if you want, for example, a South Australian Railways uh, Y-class steam locomotive, you are never going to get that ready to run. Never, ever, ever, ever. Never going to happen. But there are people out there who want it, particularly in a, something like ON42. So he's worked out how you can build one of these things. And he does all of the R&D to do it. And he builds up one to about 90%. And then he moves on to the next project. And he holds on to this information. He, he kind of collates it together. But he, he has this information on hand. And when he meets a modeler who kind of wistfully in conversation goes, ah, oh, you know, I really wish that someone would release a South Australian Y-class. He says, okay, so, yeah, I've got an answer for you. Here's what you do. You go to this guy over here and you get your laser-cut frames. You go over there and you order your motor and gearbox. You get your cab castings from over here. You 3D print your boiler over there, and there's your loco. So the, the thing that this particular guy enjoys doing is the R&Ding of building various uh, of enabling various models to be built why is this relevant to 3d printing he's an older guy who by his own admission is a luddite uh he will do anything he can to avoid typing on a computer put a petrol or diesel engine in front of him he'll fix it all day long put a computer in front of him and it all gets scary but you know be that as it may this guy runs something like two 3d printers a laser printer a cad cam rig uh you know he's not a big technology fan but he very much appreciates what the technology can do for his r&ding of solutions to building various models yeah that's How, cool no, no so just as, because i've been looking into looking into getting a 3d printer yeah. and i was debating on uh a you know the resin one or the filament kind. So I was just wondering what you might have been using. That's interesting. Uh, right? Using using both. Have used both. Have used the uh, the MakerBot uh, uh, filament one. Have used my friend's three legged 
Arduino-powered something or other um, with the <laughs> filament one. And I've also used my friend's um, uh, resin-based, it's called a Formlab 2. Uh, of the three of them, the Formlab would be the one that I would reach for. Uh, it is a resin printer. It gives uh, finishes that you can use straight out of the straight out of the machine without the kind of stair stepped um, or uh, or the filament thread thickness. Yeah, the, the layered the layered look. But yeah, don't have yeah, that. There, yeah, okay. there, there is there is another resin uh, 3D printer on the market now that a lot of model railroaders are are going to just because it's about one third the cost of a form two lab, uh, build area. I think it's just a, uh, a wee bit smaller, but not by much. And, um, the, of course, the form, t- uh, two will do a h- even higher resolution than this, um, approximately $500 us, uh, um, uh, 3d printer, but, uh, for HL scale modeling, uh, the HL scale modelers seem to really like it, uh, get real smooth, very almost, in invisible steps on the layering and that um i know uh, uh i'd have to i got a brain fart of the uh one gentleman down in australia that does a lot of uh, really high-end scenery youtube videos but i know he purchased one and has a youtube video up on it and, that'd be luke luke towen uh, yeah, luke Cowan, yes yes uh that's that's the gentleman uh he's got a video uh showing uh, him 3D printing different containers and stuff like that with it. And uh, I know another friend of mine that uh, uh, has a small decal business. Uh, he bought one for his personal use. And he he's also got a, a filament-type 3D printer that he used to 3D print a lot of G-scale parts for his uh, G-scale models. But uh, uh, he's been doing HL-scale tie plates with the this uh, new little resin um, uh, 3D printer and from all the pictures I've seen, they look fantastic. Yep. The form lab, the form lab and the resin types, uh, look, for something which you want to try and print and it is the model, it is the surface that you want to present, that would be where I would go. For something that doesn't – is something that you need to build but is not really needs to be presented – uh so for example i know that a number of people are doing um onboard dcc speaker enclosures using the pla uh thread threaded uh printers filament printers just because you're not looking at them but you just need something that you can design and print and have it reproducible and just spit it out that's that's where they tend to work and tend to be a bit more cost effective uh i know there are also people who are you know, utilizing their 3D printers of either type, but usually the the filament type for designing and 3D printing things like gearboxes to to um, uh, operate turntables or uh, custom mounts for tortoise motors under turnouts or things. You know, anything where you need a you need to build something, design something. Uh, you know, like a structural element or a bracket or something, all the kind of stuff that people typically, you know, they cobble together from something. If you can design it and, and you know, you can just print off as many of these things as you want, then, um, you know, a, a, a threaded, a filament PLA printer will work a treat. But if it's a model, if it's actually you're doing a model of something, then I'd, I'd go for the resin, to be honest. Oh, yeah, I, I totally agree. At work, we have a Dremel filament 
uh, type 3D printer, and the only thing that I've used it for in, in the hobby is uh, making uh, uh, tooling, you know, for drilling holes for the module standards, for the trolley modules I do. Templates. Yep. Or our cutting jigs, like I did uh, uh, an RS3 cab window confer- uh, conversion where I cut out the cab windows of the RS3 and you put in um, uh, C420 uh, side cab windows. And uh, so I had the nice square cutting jigs uh, 3D printed and used them to cut out the window openings and cut out the windows off the other cab and glue them in. It had a nice tight press fit uh uh, joined and then I could just run my glue from the backside to glue the the two yep. cabs together. Yeah, templates, drilling jigs. Um, I mean even things like uh, even things like uh, 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 track gauges and things for hand laying and that kind of stuff. Yeah, the, in that kind of world, uh, that's where that's where filament printers. They shine. It, it, yep. it just works it's, so well. And that's another thing I also developed and I have on my Shapeway store uh, is a uh, track gauge for making sure you're, you have exactly two-inch parallel uh, track centers. So if you have modules with button track joints, you know your track joint or your, your distance between the rail or two parallel tracks are exactly the same. Hang on. Yep, 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 yep. There's um. Uh, we had some renovation work happening at the house here uh, last year, and the builder uh, actually asked me. He said, uh, "You you do a little bit with this this designing and 3D printing stuff?" And I, well, yeah, a little bit. And his comment to me was, uh, "Can you draw me and print me a um a template a, a, a jig to it was to accurately cut a recess." in window frames that's right it was a it was something to uh to uh do an offset an offset recess in window frame stuff and uh i kind of like it basically it was a block of material with a just a step in one corner uh, sorry along one edge but it all kind of made sense it was like yeah perfect application for it fantastic application so yeah, that's that's been the that's been some of the stuff that we've played with here. I must admit, when I started trying to play with Fusion 3D, the first thing I um the first thing I tried to do was draw a bay window caboose uh, in HO, and that was just silly. That was that was overkill. That was uh, uh yeah, it was it was silly. It was trying to do something way too complex on the basis that. I wanted to start by drawing something that I actually wanted and needed to use rather than just a generic, well, something like my builder friends, you know, block two inch square block as a template. Um, And trying to do that through no fault, but my own kind of put me off trying to draw it at all. I just got frustrated with the idea of, Damn it! I can draw this thing on paper in 30 seconds, and I know exactly what I want, but I can't translate it to software. I can't translate it to, to electronic drawing. When I then went to do the uh, the water tank frame that we talked about, I was able to break it down to um, structural elements, things like L channels and C channels and little flat plates and things. And as soon as I was able to break it down to those, and then virtually put those together on screen in the same way as the prototype did to build their water tank. So a leg on one of these things is four L channels uh, and a couple of 
plates into space between them. And you kind of put it together on screen. You go, oh, that's a water tank leg. Okay, well, I need, what, 12 of those? Copy and paste. Right, now I need to join them together. Get another L channel, turn it 90 degrees, and, you know, bolt them together. And it that made more sense. That that worked as a, as a way of teaching myself how to use the how to use the systems. Yeah. And one of the things also, which uh, uh, I kind of had done myself, but uh, this past summer uh, I went to uh, Jack Burgess, went to the St. Louis RPM meet and he gave a clinic on 3d printing and he does all his 3d modeling, uh, all, all the equipment he draws to full scale and full size. So that way, if he needs a three eighths inch bolt hex head bolt, he actually draws the three eighths inch hex head in in real full scale, and then when he's all done with the model, then he reduces it to whatever scale he's working in. Okay, does that does that lead into you know smacking into uh, the kind of problem where you draw it at, at full scale size, you shrink it down to eighty seven times as small, and suddenly get smacked with hang on every sheet material wall that you've got. Uh, is too thin and can't be printed. I mean, do you run into uh, uh, kind of cross-sectional area problems doing that? He, he he does do he does run into that. But what then he'll do is then he will take the the HO scale model uh, and then he will edit and add thickness to areas that he needs the thickness. Okay, I must admit I had that with the water tank as well. I I originally drew things like the the L channels that make up the legs. I drew those with a wall thickness. I didn't draw them at full size. I drew them at scale size. I drew them at the at the HO scale size I wanted. But if memory serves, I think I looked at the Shapeways minimum wall thickness and went, "Yep, I'll you know that if that's their minimum recommended wall thickness, that's what I'll go for." And strangely enough, minimum wall thickness was it was thinner than like half a scale inch in HO. So I thought, you know, yeah, visually I can get away with that. I pulled the software for the form lab on form lab printer on my laptop here i don't have the printer but you can run the software standalone stick your design in there the stl file in there and ask it you know analyze this thing are there any problems for printing and of course it came back and smacked me upside the head seven ways from sunday uh with the number of you know too thin unsupported too thin uh, you know, uh, not enough detail, uh, the dimension too small, blah, blah, blah. And what I ended up finding was that I went back into Fusion and because of the way that it draws stuff, I was able to say to the the particular part in the drawing where the thickness of the L-channel cross-section was set, like I was increasing things by point, I can't remember if it's point 0.1 or point 0.2 of a millimetre and it just kind of said, you know, just make it that little bit thicker. And I'm thinking, you know, like, I can't see that. You know, visually, I can't see that change. And, you know, I could wring my hands and go, oh, but, you know, I'm, I'm designing this element that's now, you know, it's larger than scale. But when you're talking about the difference between one millimetre or 1.1 millimetres, you're not, yeah, re- real world on a layout in a scene, you're not going to see it. And when I was kind of just edging just just pushing the thicknesses of all of these cumulative elements and then re rebuilt the model spit out the file put it in the form lab software and the form so it just went yep ready to rock where do you want to print it <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's um 
what one of the projects projects I did with uh, Mr. Rent uh, was a uh, North Shore uh, depot, and uh, of course he's going to end up laser cutting all the walls. But there was one portion of the the wall that is actually going to be a resin casting. But when I initially drew the depot, I drew the depot uh, full scale, and then with the CAD software package that that I have at work, I was able to then make uh, have the parent file full scale, and then then children of that uh, parent file. One of the children file was HO, one was N scale, and one was O scale. Of course, from those children files, I had to go in and adjust adjust wall thicknesses. You know, increasing wall thicknesses on the N scale, decreasing wall thicknesses on the O scale. Um, and I had done a, a test print of the HO and N scale at Shapeways of the walls just so we could physically hold up the structure and look at it before he uh, converted the side elevation views to his laser cutting software. And that way we could go, oh, oh, darn, I missed that. That, that uh, door means uh, offset from the little breezeway area of the uh, portion of the, the depot. Okay, so we have to bump, make sure when we do the laser file, I get that door centered. And I went into my full scale moved the door and uh, then opened up each of the uh, uh, the children files and they automatically all updated to the new door proper position. And then I, of course, could open up the draft files of the site elevations and, of course, all those updated. So then I just made a DXF file and he imported it into his uh, software for his laser and he then had all the site elevation files and then he could go in and tweak for the material that he was doing for the laser cutting and add any tabs if he needed or anything like that nice <laughs> yeah it's uh the, the fact that you can play with it on screen and do that uh yeah as opposed to kind of punching your way through it but i mean as i said i i deliberately set myself the task of uh you know i i head-to-headed fusion versus styrene in building that water tank frame because i i mean i have the same kind of problem with airbrushing uh in the time that it takes me to set up the airbrush get the paint mixed get it loaded shoot it and clean it i can grab a brush grab a bottle of tamiya paint stick the brush in the thinner done so i had the same kind of thing with the 3d with the 3d drawing and printing i kind of went well you know uh, i can build this thing tangibly in front of me out of styrene cut loads of little bits of styrene and glue them together or I can draw them, and then the actual printing of it becomes reasonably, you know, quick and relatively quick and simple. Which one's going to get me where I need to go? Building with the styrene actually felt, uh, from the ground zero place that I was, from the absolute rank amateur starting, launch the program, not touched it before kind of thing, building with the styrene felt better because it was tangible. It was in front of me. It was right there. Uh, and I was en- I was engineering and designing the parts as I went. But like I say, once I got about 10 hours in, Fusion just clicked. And from then on in, I put about another 10 hours in redoing everything that I'd done in the last. And the professor's audio dropped. That stinks. Um, one one thing that I, I saw, you posted like a day or two ago. You had sort of an uh, aha moment or you said you were going to start building or creating something. That That's, that's top secret and one that... Okay, I was gonna say, is there any kind of hints or clues that you might be able to give us? Or um, no, it's basically it's a um, a 
Top secret. Manufactured Chinese uh, kit bash where something was taken full scale and done tongue in cheek. And I'm altering it so it's because um, the locomotives that they they altered to kind of go with them look a little bit too large to go with them. So it's kind of um, when when it, when it's done, it'll make sense. It'll make sense. Okay, I'll I'll leave it at that then. I was just curious. You're kind of vague, and I know purposely you were vague, but try and get some information out of you. All all will become clear later on in the song. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. And 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 this idea is not a is not a drug induced uh, thought. You know, that's the scary part. So it's not a Pink Floyd <laughs> song. All right. <laughs> well, gents, it was great talking to you. I want to say thank you to you guys and everybody out there, especially Tom, for making this whole community happen. It's been awesome, and looking forward to another 150 or so more shows. And uh, I'm going to call it a night, actually. Well, thanks for calling in. And um, again, uh, anybody that's listening to this audio uh, and you've never called into the show, please do so. Um, it's a lot of fun and enjoying. And you meet a lot of great friends from not just in your own country, but you meet them from around the world. And, you know, here uh, in this last little bit of the recording, we had uh, two great gentlemen from down under in Australia and uh, two great uh, gentlemen from different areas of the United States. So it's uh, definitely a worldwide uh, show. It's not just the U.S. It's uh, we talk about topics from around the world. Yep. It doesn't have to be about 3D printing. It can be about that. It can be about structures or track, anything. Electronics, It's that's what makes this really great because anybody can hop on and anybody can bring up a topic model railroad related, but not, you know, exactly it has to be this. Well, we, we this, this show, uh, 150, isn't even all model railroad related. Uh, Tom and uh, Chris also chatted for a short bit about uh, uh, role-playing games. So, it, but typically, yeah, let's try to keep the topic model, but the host can always deviate from the, the topic at hand. I got I got to say, I'm not I'm not big into model into uh, role playing, but uh, the first few episodes that I've listened to of Tom's new uh, My Rules Are Better, or I think it was called, uh, I'm actually enjoying it. And, uh, you know, I might sneak down to the, the game shop that's, you know, blocked from my house and uh, maybe... Check it out for a few nights here and there when they have their game nights. And while you're in there, while you're in there, if it's a games workshop shop, pick up some Citadel Black, have a good look at their range of paints. There's some pretty spectacular paint colors there. They they, they have a huge rack there of it, yep. Some of the the naming might not be, I mean, look, if you're looking for Seaboard Red, uh, (laughs) it might not be called Seaboard Red. If you're looking for CSX Blue or, you know, uh, SP Lark Gray, they might not be called those exact things, but the actual paints themselves are of high quality and the uh, the colors are quite solid. So, uh, yeah, yeah C- keep your eyes C-board, open for modeling materials. The Seaboard Red might be called, you know, Demon Death Blood or something, but it, <laughs> it's the same color. I, I know I've uh, just started using Vallejo paints, and I think one of the colors I did was Prussian Purple or something like that. And, uh, hey, it's, it's a great-looking uh, color for trim on a house, so... You know, you go. out into the different aisles in the hobby shops or other uh, modeling or gaming shops, you'll be surprised on paint colors and shades, which you can use on structures and other bits. Absolutely. All right, guys. Great talking again. And I'll catch you in the future. All right.
Yep, no problem, Ron. Good night, guys. Not Ron, not my. I would like to welcome uh, Jim Rent onto the call. Uh, Jim, we had a new caller on Model Rail Radio that um, didn't want to go through all the backlog of um, audio recording. Uh, so if you could please give yourself an intro of your of who you are and your modeling interests. Oh, yeah, I can do that for you, Mike. Uh, Jim Rent here. Uh, I've, I've appeared on the show before with my son, Peter. And, uh, oh, let's see, I've got the little rinse relics business, which I haven't really done, been able to do much with in the last two and a half years. But uh, hopefully soon we've uh, ordered some new equipment and uh, hopefully we can get back on track with that. Uh, generally speaking, I'm a modeler of uh, Chicago Northwestern and uh, associated traction somewhere between Chicago, Milwaukee, and Sheboygan, et cetera, Sheboygan, Wisconsin. So, uh, yeah, I uh, just uh, am quite busy with life in, in recent months, for those of you who remember me. Uh, actually, in the last, uh, what, what is it, Mike, in the last 14 months, I had two kids get married, uh, yep. about seven <laughs> months apart, got a third one that just got engaged. Uh, now, just recently, both couples have announced that they're having babies, so I will be a grandfather soon, so I guess I, I better... Better ratchet up the model railroading quick before I, I both knees are occupied bouncing babies, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so have you been uh, working on any modeling projects in that time frame since uh, you've been left on the show? Well, I've done I've done a lot of uh, sets, uh, setting up a drawings uh, to be lasered against so once back in the realm of uh, Laserland, and uh, uh, I've also uh, I've done just some small projects uh, for friends. Uh, recently completed a uh, an N-scale Great Northern uh, Priest River, Idaho uh, depot, uh, which uh, turned out quite nicely. Uh, uh, some of you may have seen the pictures on the Internet, uh, on Facebook, I should say. And uh, uh, other than that, uh, my son Peter has been doing some modeling as well. Just we've been doing structures where we can. We're, we're working on getting our basement reorganized and uh, you know, storing stuff for kids that have now uh, moved out, but uh, other things to put away. And so... Uh, we're starting to get back into the the idea of uh, having a, a working layout available to uh, to enjoy. Oh, very good, very good. So, any uh, highlights of any structures you may have on the high, the horizon that you can give us a little tidbit on, or are still in the planning stages? Well, in the in the land of uh, traction, I'm I am working on uh, uh, the uh, Chicago North Shore Milwaukee's uh, Racine Depot. Uh, and uh, hope and hopefully soon uh, uh, the freight station as well, both an HO and an N scale, as custom builds for for friends. Uh, uh, Mike Mike's familiar with this, uh, as one of them will be going to him. Uh, yeah, that's been kind of an interesting project. As we go along, we're finding little bits and pieces and tidbits and talking to people who remember uh, riding the North Shore with their dad or their aunt or something uh, back in the day and. Oh yeah, there were phone booths here. There was uh, I remember the floor being this color and things of that nature. So we're we're pulling details together from a very uh, limited uh, amount of information available. So that's uh, that's always kind of the fun one of the fun parts of it. But it can be it can cause a project to drag on for as Mike knows years instead of uh, mere months uh, that maybe construction would normally take. Um, I also uh, personally am hoping to embark on some. Uh, uh, some larger, should we call them, uh, classic uh, large city uh, uh, grand stations, uh, like the Great Northern's Minneapolis Depot is on my horizon, the Chicago and Northwestern Chicago Passenger Terminal, uh, possibly the Santa Fe's uh, San Diego Depot as well, if I can ever get a hold of plans for the blasted thing. Uh, 
Um, uh, so I can actually have measured drawings to work with on that one. Um, but that's some of the, the uh, highlights coming down the way, I guess. Uh, sounds like some very interesting projects, yeah. And I also know you're also building the Racine Depot in O-Scale for uh, Kevin Marks. Correct, correct. Another traction modeler in that. Yep, yep. Yeah, like I said, we're doing it in, in two scales at once, so. <laughs> yep. It's It's been a lot of fun doing the, the research on that uh, whole entire area. And, mm-hmm. um, I know between uh, you, myself, and Kevin, uh, we've gathered a lot of information on, on that particular little area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there have been some some pretty exciting moments of discovery, uh, you know, <laughs> nerding out, as it were, uh, to some of the uh, more interesting photos that have come along in the last couple of years here. Very true. Uh, and some of them not even on the uh, posted on the trolley forum. Some of them uh, posted just on uh, local community uh uh, heritage type Facebook groups. Yeah, the best the best one that 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 cracks me up is when you see somebody in the Racine group posting of pictures. Does anybody remember riding this railroad? I, I can't seem to find anything about it these days. Does anybody know if it's still operating? And of course, we're slapping our foreheads, going, "Look at that shot! Look at that shot!" You know. So that's yeah. exciting stuff. Yeah, it's very true. I know when researching a project, uh, trying to tell people, you know, I don't care if Aunt Edna or or whoever is in the photograph, you know, I can look past them. It's the detail <laughs> in the shot that I'm looking yeah. for. What type of garbage can was was by the uh, the post? Yes, yes. Of course, if it's a, a young and pretty girl, we don't mind if you leave the photo- that half of the photograph there, too. But uh, we always appreciate smiling faces. <laughs> very, very, very true. <laughs> oh. Yeah, other than that, I guess life has just been... Uh, uh, I'd like to say one one blessing after another, but sometimes it seems more like uh, fires to put out, catastrophes as you go through uh, two children getting married inside of eight months. And uh, yeah, there's uh, not lo- much room left in the uh, in the budget for model railroading until uh, this all gets passed. So, but uh, we're we're getting there. We're, like I said, we're trying to get back on track. So, oh, that's very good to hear. That's uh, good to hear. I know a lot of listeners, and I know Tom uh, has been kind of wanting an update. Uh, uh, for the, sh- the podcast, and uh, you're always asked about by the listening audience. Well, yeah, and, and Mike, you and I have talked about getting into the land of podcasting again, doing something uh, uh, a little more direct uh, regarding probably, well, probably those things that interest us the most, but, uh, but uh, well, well, we'll see where it goes, but know that there may be something on the horizon now that we have somebody who's offered to do editing and, and uh and fixing for us, so that uh, that might be a thing. We'll have to see where it all goes. Uh, I think he let probably one too many cats out of the bag here. I um, officially announced that uh, I'm running for Wise Division Superintendent position to a worldwide audience. Uh, so, yeah, it's something <laughs> that me, me and Jim's been kind of talking about uh, doing a uh, NMRA, maybe regional or some, some type of little podcast in that, but mm-hmm. with... Um, his life, my life, it kind of got put on hold a little bit, but something that maybe we'll try to get out here sometime soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm hoping to get the post of CIA director if uh, he becomes president. So I. <laughs> uh, yes, that's. Uh, it's always good to have a little comedy, good comedy in a podcast. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. 
Yeah, that's about that's about all I know. I mean, like like I said, uh, so oftentimes people say, "Oh, what you up to?" And it's like, I, I nothing that seems exciting to me, I guess. But uh, I guess sometimes got to remember that uh, I, I, you know, like we take interest in what other people are doing. I guess that somebody's interested in what we're doing too. So I, I have to remind myself to talk about it once in a while. <laughs> well, that that's true. Uh, it, uh, this whole entire podcast of Model Rail Radio has built an audience where. Uh, uh, just a big group of friends, and when we don't hear from one of them, uh, it, uh, we kind of wonder what's going on in, in their life or their modeling interests. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I guess that's about all I have. <laughs> okay. Well, well, thanks for calling, Jim, and uh, we'll uh, talk to you later. All right. Thanks for having me on, Mike. It's good to be here again, and I'll, I'll hopefully not be uh, quite so absent in the future. Okay. Well, I'm going to hang up on this call, and then we can. I'll call you back so we can chit-chat. Sounds good. Okay. Bye-bye. What a strange experience. Skype will not allow me to reconnect to the call. So, yes, welcome to the future. (laughs) Anyway, thank you very much to the folks who participated in the call tonight. Also, the folks that participated in the call this morning. We've got on a number of folks that I've really wanted to have a chat with for a long period of time now. So to talk to Chris Abbott, such a luxury. My podcast for folks who are interested, uh, myrulesarebetter.com. That's the location for the podcast i'm teaching people how to create their own rule sets how to create wargaming board games role-playing game rules and the various dynamics it's not about mathematics and dice i mean some of it is that but a lot of it is about setting and a variety of other things so that's the podcast that i'd like to get chris involved with but another model rail radio recorded new technical challenges i guess that we're going to have to work through skype has always been an interesting mistress with regards to recording these podcasts so yeah an inability to actually do a final outro on the recording yeah take it in your stride so we'll be back to show 151 uh regular format i think in a couple of weeks time just before i head off to the uk and yes really looking forward to going to the uk catching up with a variety of folk there heading back here and then we will give out the uh Awards for the Mind Mount Models uh, track planning contest. So not sure if the professor will enter, but we'll have to wait and see. Thanks to everyone for uh, participating today, and thanks to the folks for listening in. Normally people would say good evening, but unfortunately we don't have the option with this recording. Maybe on Mike Slater's version people will say good evening, yeah, or good night, or something like that. Anyway, Tom Bartolet in San Jose signing out.